It's time to let you in on a little secret. Actually, lots of secrets. We're talking strategy and most importantly, return on your investment for your podcast. Welcome to Branded Podcast Secrets. All right, welcome to another episode of Branded Podcast Secrets. I'm your host, Aaron Greger, here talking another podcast all about uh, building businesses. And this one I'm particularly excited to talk about because I, uh, there's one thing I do know a lot about. It's about farming, fortunately or unfortunately. But I have Michael Kilpatrick here. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very excited to talk about your podcast, which is the Thriving Farmers Podcast. So Michael ha- is a farmer and he's an inventor. He's a speaker. And what he does is he helps other, po- or other farmers streamline their business. And through the infield consult, in the field consultants, I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, dot coms. So your podcast is, like I mentioned, the thriving farmers market. So Michael, I'd love to know a little bit about your history. I've read about it and how you came to farming. So can you talk a little bit about farming first? why you wanted to be a farmer, and now why you're helping other farmers build their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So we, I've always like loved getting into the dirt. Uh, my parents have a picture of me when I was like six with like 15 different slugs crawling over my hands. And now that kind of creeps me out. But at that age, you know, a six-year-old boy, you know, they're in that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, as we got a little bit older, my dad decided to get into gardening with us. And so we got, you know, the John Jevons book and the uh, Victory Garden Kids book and we started down that road and grew squash. And I remember at one point in my youth taking a wheelbarrow load full of cherry tomatoes and tomatoes and peppers and literally going to every neighbor on the street and saying, hey, you want any? Because we got extra. So um, that was way when I was younger. But as we grew older in 2000, um, well, 1999, we moved to upstate New York. Uh, to get out of the city, try to whole, avoid the whole Y2K thing. That was my dad was a little worried about it. Um, so we bought nine acres. And uh, then we all woke up on January 1st and everything was fine. But what we did have was the eight acres and kind of like no one told us we couldn't do it. So we started gardening and farming and raising ducks and um, vegetables. And the vegetables obviously for us became the – where we were – where our, our – kind of our um, – our niche. That was our niche. And so we just grew that. And so that grew to about 15, 16 acres. And we managed about 400 acres of property overall between that, um, doing farmers markets. Um, so we, that was until 2015, 2015, um, my wife and I decided to move to Ohio. We'd gotten married. We had a daughter. She wanted to be near her family. Um, so we moved there. And so that is when we kind of at that point, um, sold the, not sold more, leased the business out. You know, it was kind of, it was a creative, trying to make a creative situation for some of our, um, managers who wanted to take over the farming system. Well, we watched them crash and burn spectacularly in just eight months. And at that point, I was like, oh my gosh, these people literally had the perfect market. They had a hole in the market that they walked into. They had perfect soils. I mean, we had, again, 25 acres of tillable ground that they walked into with leases. They had... um 
dream equipment line because I spent literally a decade getting an equipment line to dream of, of all the different pieces they could have ever wanted. And um, they had a great crew. I mean, we had a great crew that worked for me and many of them just went on to work for them. So I was like, okay, so what was it that kind of made them fail? And then I started looking at other farmers around the country that were failing. And I was like, you know, what the heck is causing those problems too? So, um, you know, that's when we started in the field consultants and, um, cause we were like, okay, here's a five step process that we have or five pillars of success that we want to teach. Um, so we started that company. We didn't start the podcast until about 20, I think it's 2017. Um, we're at about 150 episodes, I think somewhere around there. And it's been one every single week. So what does that make it? 2018 then? Wow. Yeah, I think you're at 154. I saw. Okay. Cool. So yeah, well, that's yeah. yeah. So that's that's three years worth of podcast. So three years ago, around this time, we started. Uh, it's actually January when we started the podcast. I think around then. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of why we did farming. That's kind of like why we started the educational side. It's just we're tired of seeing farmers fail, and and, and kind of that problem. There's a huge problem, and let's talk about that problem because yeah. only five percent of farmers make it to five years or more, and. You know, this year we started a new farm in Ohio here. Um, again, we kind of went off the deep end, scaled it fast, but it was interesting watching other people also start farms this year. And, um, you know, there's one guy is in Michigan and he basically bought land with that was uninhabitable house, tried to make it go of it. And there's interesting a post he put out mid season. Well, Hey guys, you know, we were kind of planning on the farm to pay our expenses and to help us renovate the farmhouse, pay for us to renovate the farmhouse. And I was like, oh my gosh, you actually expected your farm in year one to actually give you income? I mean, that's, I mean, in any business, you expect that the first year is going to be putting money into the business um, and not to be taking money out. And then recently, literally today, I saw a post, someone was saying, well, I, uh, you know, was hoping my farm was going to make me $650,000 this year. And, and year one, and I was like, I was like, I don't even know where to start here, dude. I mean, this is tough, but I think you've got a lot of people because again, right now we're in incredible flux in this world. It's crazy. We can, we can all agree with that. Um, people are losing their jobs. Yes. People are changing jobs, all sorts of crazy things going on. And people decide, Oh, you know, well, you know, I plant a seed. It costs me 10 cents. And oh my gosh, I can sell those tomatoes off that plant for $4 a pound. And it'll give me 10 pounds of tomatoes. That's $40. Oh my gosh, look how much money I can make. And they don't realize <laughs> everything else that goes into it. So that's why our podcast exists to kind of share the stories and kind of give people a reality check sometimes of, you know, what farming is all about. Well, I love it. Like we talked earlier. So. My dad actually, I'm very proud of him knowing those statistics. So he, and, and I think you're born for it. Like, yeah. like you said, you're in, like, you really have to have, I think, part crazy. Uh, cause not only are you a business owner, but it is a business owner like no other. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have so many outside, tr literal outside forces uh, components that, yes, that are changing your business. But he has been a farmer since God in his twenties and the man is now 74. So wow. 50 plus years and very successful, like from a perspective of the fact that he's still standing and has done very well for himself from a farming, but he treated it very business-like. Yeah. And I know we're not even talking about the podcast yet, but are you seeing, I'm, 
right now, I feel like there's a lot of people trying to get off the grid and in doing that, right, create their own farm. Are you seeing an influx of people trying to, like you said, losing a job or saying, I want to, you know, do this thing I've always dreamed of. Now is the time. Are you seeing an influx of people trying to get into farming, maybe at small scale, but trying to do that? Yeah, we definitely are. I mean, it, it comes back to, as you said, people get, trying to get off the grid, um, people just trying to get onto the land and, and the homestead. Um, but people saying, hey, I'm tired of the working for the man and I want to be my own boss. Um, and I think there's a lot of success stories out there now too. In the last 10 years, there's been obviously a huge growth in our industry. So there's a lot of people that saying, Hey, here's how I'm doing it. Here's how you can do it. And, uh, you know, just showing that, that thing. Now it is obviously a crowded industry. So, um, you have to look at where, um, like for us, the type of farms we work with are typically small scale organic farms. And, uh, the USDA is not, you know, not really pushing that. Um, they're pushing large scale ag. So on one aspect, the deck, the deck is kind of stacked for the small scale farmer. So it's, it's pretty challenging. But again, if you treat it like a business, as you said, you can be quite profitable. Um, you know, it's just, it comes back to, you know, how you manage it. Yeah. So I'm curious, you got a couple years into your business and then the podcast was born. I always love to know, what was where you were in your business? Obviously, you need to create some sort of content. What was it for you that you were like, I think a podcast is what we need to do? Yeah. And, um, you know, why you chose podcasting as the medium? Yeah, well, I actually the podcast came from my uh, friends, Josh and Jill Stanton, um, who are well known in the um, digital space, um, um, the online marketing space. And, uh, I did a, a mastermind with them and we were kind of like just breaking down, like what were the challenges and they're like, well, leads and, you know, just getting my voice out there. And they're like, well, then do a podcast. And, you know, I think the other aspect of the podcast is I love chatting with farmers and finding out about how their businesses work. And so basically it's, you know, a selfish aspect of obviously I get to interview someone new and I get to learn about their business and deep dive into the challenges and the successes and how it makes it work. And then also give my feedback and kind of share some of my wisdom as well with some of these farmers, you know, have a challenge they're trying to get solved. So, um, but yeah, um, that's, that's kind of, I think why we got it started and then kind of it's taken on its own life. And, uh, as we, we, we kind of started at the beginning, it was very specific. We had a very specific list of questions. Now we've kind of opened it up and it's kind of broadened a little bit, um, to include, you know, more than just farmers. So now it's like educators in the space. It's now, um, software developers who are making stuff for farmers. It's tool inventors trying to hear the story behind the tools. Um, so yeah, but it's still obviously very agricultural based. The where we haven't taken it, which I would like to, is start to go after um, more the business interviews, like the Donald Miller, the um, uh, the good to great Jim Collins. I'd love to get some of those folks. I mean, some of those are, are obviously very hard to get on, but some of those interviews I think could be really good for our audience because again, we teach farmers business, and so that's for them to be able to get that kind of info. Yeah, I mean, all it takes is one book launch of theirs, and they're all over the place, right? They'll easily come on. Yeah, I'll just have to wait so, till the next time Jim Collins launches a book. <laughs> yeah, it's not impossible. Let's just yeah. put it that way. Uh, so you said it kind of took its a life of its own, and and like I mentioned, obviously you've been doing this for three years. Something is working. 
Can you talk about what it has done for your business and how it's created that, that life of it that it has? Yeah. I think obviously the biggest thing for us is it gives us a lot of credibility. Um, you know, we're probably the top five podcasts in our space. Um, we almost have, I think we're at three quarters of a million downloads now. Um, so we're, we're getting close, you know, we're getting, we're starting to push toward that million, millionth download, which again, that's amazing. You know, uh, one of my heroes, you know, Mike Rowe, he's a million epi- downloads every episode. So I, f- <laughs> but he's the, oh, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> he's got a complete life of his own. I mean, again, and I, again, I think what he's done too, is he's kind of showcasing a lot of, you know, some of our farmers and stuff, which is really cool. So, um, but you know, I think the aspect of, so obviously the, the credibility, um, we use it to meet people. If we want to like to form a re- affiliate relationship or a relationship with somebody, we have them on the podcast and just be able to kind of like get a background in an interview and then be able to say, Hey, you know, matter of fact, let's chat about this relationship we can go for or kind of how we want to set this up. Um, so that aspect. And then I think just again, getting in front of our audience on a weekly basis. So obviously ad revenue, but also being able to push our products. So when we do a product launch, you know, three weeks advance, we're starting to talk about it, starting to push it, all that sort of stuff. Um, so all that kind of stuff is important as we kind of move the, the, the business forward. Yeah. How, so I know the mark, the, demographics of a farmer have changed, right? And I would say they're probably not on social media. Although nowadays I see farmers on TikTok yep. doing videos and it's crazy. How have you honed in on that demographic where you're marketing? Is it social media that's working for you or are you doing different things to market the podcast to get, because your, your demographic is a farmer. Yeah. So you want to get how you're getting in front of them. Well, obviously it's also farmers that listen to podcasts because not all farmers listen yeah. to podcasts. So, you know, we try to get on as many podcasts as possible because obviously that's where they're listening. Um, and, uh, you know, trade podcasts back and forth to different people. Um, the other aspect would be, yeah, doing some advertising on social media. Um, our summits though are kind of our big aspect too. So we use our podcast to feed our summits and we do a massive annual summit, which, um, is our biggest event of the year can virtually well for us. Um, but we also use those speakers to then, you know, kind of share and get, get our expand our email list, which is then we push the podcast to them as well. Interesting. Oh, keep going. So, um, so yeah, I mean, basically that's another aspect. So we have an email list now about like 85,000 people. And, um, so obviously that's going out once a week to all those people as well. Nice. Very nice numbers on those. Um, is the summit virtual or are you doing it? Well, obviously it was virtual, yeah. but are, yeah, we do any plans of taking it in person. Um, we would, yeah, it would be different. I mean, I'm more of a fan of these small, very small events, more high ticket, small events, yeah. just because you can actually like really move people. The people that I really like working with are, they've already been business for a couple of years. And so they just need to go to the next level. Um, and so yeah. that's where we can actually solve problems. It's not a like, well, you know, what do I use for irrigation? It's like, okay, we've got irrigation, but now we just drilled a brand new well and we're trying to figure out all the logistics of how big the pipe is and like what makes sense for you, this, that, and the other. So that's kind of where I see my best use for, because obviously I can tell people, okay, this is how you plant this. But what really excites me, what really lights my fire is the kind of the business strategy, the moving from, you know, the $50,000 in sales to the 500,000. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. So, um, has the format, I always love to talk about this too, because a lot of people, again, you're so many episodes in from the original plan of what 
the podcast was to what it is now? How is that transformed? Yeah. So one of the things that we've done and we set up from the beginning is we wanted to make this super easy. Okay. So, um, we have a booking calendar, which works with Calendly. It has zaps going. It's got Airtable. It's got a waiver they sign and, um, obviously some email automations. Um, uh, but basically they book their time. And then the only thing we have to do on our end is, um, is just that my crew, my team will do a little bit of stocking of their social media and then create like six or eight personalized questions. So I'll use the, the roster I have of questions I normally use and then I'll add in those six or eight personalized questions. Um, but yeah, it sends them the, the waiver automatically. They sign that. Then when they hit submit, it kicks them to another page, which asks them for their bio and their, their picture. Um, so we created that system and, and obviously that's just, it just works. And that's the only reason we're actually not off Zoom because I hate Zoom with a passion. Um, but is because none of these, like, you know, you're using Riverside and maybe it does. Um, but most of these don't zap and can't in connect with Calendly. And so that's so frustrating. Oh. Um, because again, I don't, we don't send anything. We don't send out any ad- adverts or anything like that. It's all done automatically. And that's because Calendly interacts very easily with Zoom. So interesting. So you sound like you pretty much uh, have your have it all together. You got your systems down. Are you doing direct measurement from like, you know, the podcast generates X? Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that it's intertwining. You're doing the summit yeah. uh, marketing through it. But do you have anything in place that, you know, you generate for every hundred thousand you generate? the podcast, you can directly correlate 20 of that or something along those lines. Do you have anything in place? We don't. And, you know, I think we are more organized. We would be to the point of like, you know, um, like for using it for sales and like, Hey, if you want to get this course at a discount, use this code. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff we should be doing. Um, we're not there yet. (laughs) Um, I mean, you guys are pretty flipping far. Though, um, so. Yeah, we should be. Um, I would like to be. You know, that's actually something I think. You know, it's on our lingus. We. I feel like we're in this teenage stage where we could really go to this next level, and we just need to kind of like, you know, sit down and like, you know, do six things, and we would be at that next level. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we know the best practices and just making so we implement them. Yeah, and how are you finding both? It sounds like you've got a team, and I know this is a, a question a lot of people ask, is finding the the guests and then finding the podcast to be on, too, because it sounds like that's a pretty big strategy for you. Would anything you're using or strategies you're, you're finding that work really well in, in both of those? Yeah, well, I think the one thing is we always are asking our guests for – both of those where we should be, you know, getting on to and also who they recommend. Um, it's also, you know, just searching Instagram for by hashtag and then finding very specific farms. Um, and then obviously there's people that pitch us all the time. Um, and I've had horrible pitches and I've had great pitches. Um, so, um, the best people are those that come to us and say, Hey, based on this episode, this open up this episode that we can give you this very unique thing. And this is why it would be a good fit for your podcast. And I'm like, and, and then they, when they say, and we will be sure to make sure we promote you to your, their, our audience. Boom. That's a, that's almost an automatic, you know? Yeah. But, um, back to the guest, you know, and again, we just, you know, we reach out with our, usually through like, um, 
Instagram or Facebook with a direct message and be like, hey, where can we send you more information? And then we'll follow up via an email and make sure they know it's coming so we don't get kicked to the spam bin. And um, then we go and um, you know send them the email and follow up back with social media to make sure they got it, make sure they saw it, make sure they're you know kind of gonna gonna work on that. I love that tip of going through Instagram or Facebook first to give them that heads up. So it's yeah. not ending up like you said in a spam bin or, uh, you know, just in that perspective, that's a really good tip. Anything else that you found that's worked really well on, on the growth or, you know, building of the podcast. Cause you know, the guesting thing, yeah. the social media, the marketing, anything else you're doing from that perspective? I mean, I don't say this is exactly like a, a thing. I think one of the things too, is though you do have to take stands and do have to like put out your, um, again, don't be like divisive for divisiveness sake, but, um, yeah, it's interesting that I've actually been kind of blacklisted on a few podcasts in our industry because I won't take the, the popular opinion on some things. Um, Ooh, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Any examples of this? Um, one? well, I, I'm just going to get, get straight. I basically was blackballed from having one of the leaders of our industry on, um, because his daughter wouldn't let him have it on because I was recording the episode. Uh, it was the day before um, it was some black lives matter, something or other was going on. And okay. I was just recording the episode and she took right. offense that I was recording the episode around that time. And I was like, look, I'm not airing this episode. I'm not using this as a platform to say this stuff is not important. But the whole fact that I wasn't, you know, just basically shutting down my life for a week because of that um, was very offensive to her. And um, so anyway, we haven't talked since. <laughs> but I just thought that was really, wow. um, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I, and again, um, we're very inclusive. We've had people of all types, shapes, sizes, whatever's on our podcast. I mean, with 150 episodes, you kind of have to. Um, but we're again, yeah. we're just open. We just want to hear all stories. We don't care. Um, but um, it just was really interesting that that actually was something that someone was so worried about that you know they weren't let us. They're again, they wouldn't let someone else be on the podcast, much less themselves. <laughs> Um, wow. but, um, yeah, I, I guess what I would say about that is maybe we probably could have been a little bit more, um, aware of the things that are going on in the world. And maybe, you know, I don't know. Again, sometimes you just have to let business be business. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like there's so many new rules that you have to allow forgive forgiveness for people yes. of not knowing them all. Yes. I know I'm completely naive to these new rules. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm trying the best I can and I'm asking the best questions I can, yes. but yeah, I'm a small girl for, or a small town girl from the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. There's a lot of things I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. So yeah, uh, I get that, but I love this, the standpoint too of I'm, sh this is a very opinionated field. There's a lot of passion behind it, right? Of, well, and I think you, know, you have to look at the audience is, you know, there's, yeah. there's two, I think, and again, we know our avatar pretty well, but there's two main people that get into farming, people that, um, and it's interesting is they're very typically political polar opposites. They get in because they want to save yes. the world and they're then very liberal 
or they get in yes. um, because they want to get back to their because they want to be spend more time with their family. They want to feed their community and they want to profit at farming because they see it as a profitable venture. Um, and and one aspect, a lot of those are Christians because they see the mandate to steward the earth. And they say, hey, I can steward the earth by being a farmer. Um, so there's, that's, that's what we have is we have these two polar opposites in our industry. And so obviously you're never going to please everybody. Um, for that matter, I do have a podcast coming out here in a week or so that's pretty divisive. And I'm sure it's going to you know, lose some members. Um, you know, one of the things I haven't been, I have been vocal about is, you know, the, the government is not the far, small farmer's friend typically. And someone took, a, mm-hmm. they took a lot of offense to that. And I am doing a podcast and rebuttal to that. Um, because, you know, again, you can add to my resume. Now I actually ran for, and now I'm an elected official official in a city council in our town, our city. So, um, yeah, because I got fed up, Good for I got you. fed up with what was going on locally here. So I said, I'm going to run. And, uh, it was kind of evident, you know, that people want to change because like I got 20% of the vote in a nine way race. So, um, so yeah, again, it comes back to people want to change. And again, I ran on the thing of more freedom and less government in your lives. So, um, it does help that we're in, you know, very red state Ohio. So, uh, that's a popular topic here, but I think, I mean, I think it should be a popular topic with everybody, especially if you're living in the U S um, you know, we're founded on freedom. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, oh, we could go, we could have a whole other pot. Just the regulations at play do not help the small farmer at all. No. In fact, my mom always takes massive offense to, you know, like, you know, how people talk about the treatment of animals and all this stuff. She's like, that's not true. I'm like, mom, yeah, it is true because you're looking at mostly huge farms mm-hmm. that they are cattle, they are livestock. Yeah. No, most farmers don't have their cows named and can call them like we can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not well because it focuses on the large farm yeah. at hand. That's how it works. Yeah. So you talk about that. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the inventory readjustments that was happening during COVID where they literally were sealing up the whole house. They would pump in steam and kill entire houses of chickens. And then people were like, oh, and pigs. And be like, oh, no, it never happened. Oh, no, there is video of all of this. And they just tried to wow. cover it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about that regulation, though. Let's pop back down. Again, I don't want to belabor this, but I do think people right. need no, to no, understand no, but this. this is the stuff. Yeah. Um, that uh, the small farmer is not allowed without a 20C kitchen to process anything. So they can't make pickles. They typically can't make jams and jellies. Typically, they're not even allowed to, in Ohio, cut a head of lettuce to make a salad. That's called processing. So now you need all this further stuff. Um we actually set up our business a little differently. We set up our business as a private membership association. What that means that we're in the private domain, not the public domain. Obviously, there's a whole bunch we can get into, but what that allows us to do is do some more of this processing without having the government involved. If we hadn't been able to do that, we would not be in business. Uh, because as we're looking through now, we're, this is the end, getting toward the end of the year. We're looking at like where our sales happened and what were our top 20 items. And believe it or not, we made more money on pickles than we did on cucumbers. Interesting. And that would have been illegal. And so what's happened is the government has made this unequal equal playing field. If you look at, let's say, the, what it costs a small farmer to process a pig, it costs $250 to process a pig. It costs a big conglomerate 25 
So right from the start, yeah. they're at a completely different Sick. level of basically yeah. regulation um, because one size doesn't fit all. Again, it comes back to our town. No. Our town gave me the same rules they would have given a Walmart if a Walmart had wanted to move in. And actually, they would have probably been more uh, friendly to a Walmart because they knew that it would have created more jobs than literally me who um, is going to create you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 jobs. <clears throat> right. So – uh, yeah, we can move on, but I think it's always interesting to no. let people understand just some of those aspects of how hard it is to be a small farmer. And how important it is to go support your local farmers. Oh, yeah. uh, I got this great shirt, or there's a whole bunch. I was just in Montana and all these support local farmer stuff. I just think it's so huge to understand that go out, please go out of your way to go to the farmer's market. Please go out of your way to go to those places that do support local because it really is important because you're not supporting local by shopping at Walmart. No. It just, the, the meat there is not going to be from your local farmers. No. <laughs> and a lot, and, and unfortunately Walmart <laughs> loves the greenwash so much. Like they say local, but when you dive into it, their yeah. definition of local is what, maybe a thousand miles away, or maybe it's actually just because it's in the same state, which can be up to five, 600 miles away. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 again, because local for a while there was, uh, people really were talking about it. And so obviously these big companies, their marketing machine is going to figure out how can we spin that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, I love what you're doing. I'm, su you know, even just where I grew up. I grew up on a farm of like a thousand acres and it slowly dwindled down just because mm. a, my dad had a hard time finding help yep. and B he's getting up there in age and just doesn't want to do every year. He's like, I'm tired. I'm not doing this anymore. And then every year he comes back, he doesn't know how to not work. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, or fortunately I have his uh, working genes, but the man still works harder than I do any day of the week. So uh, I appreciate what you're doing because I feel the farming life is dwindling down, but there is a need for it. And, a, and I know there's a lot of people who still want to do it. So mm. if somebody wanted to learn more from you, uh, I want to make sure we give them both websites because I know you have one for the podcast and one for your company. Can you tell them where they yeah, should go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the podcast is thrivingfarmerpodcast.com. And then our main website where all our you know umbrellas goes over is growingfarmers.com. So you know if they... they yeah, okay. they do go to the in the field consultants. They can find everything, but our main website, which covers everything, is growingfarmers.com. Okay, so. awesome. And I'll make sure to include all that on the notes page over at aaringregor.com. So, Michael, thank you for joining me today and talking about this. Obviously, not just the farmer side, but the podcasting side, because I think. I love that. Here's what I love about your story is you're like, I still have six more things that I need to do or should be doing or, you yeah. know, yet your podcast is doing really well for you. So even if not everything is in place, it's still killing it for you. And I love those stories uh, that yes, there's still room for improvement, but it's doing really well. So you're approaching a million downloads. I think that's incredible. So congratulations and, and keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you very much for having me.